Welcome back to the Alexander Schmidt Podcast, episode 55. This is SideQuest 7, not usually done on this platform, but today is Memorial Day, and well, this is just the way we decided to do it. Welcome back to SideQuest, Mr. Wesley Shantz. Hey, thanks for having me again. It's been a little while, but uh, it's good to be back. And I like this and, format, so let's do let's do Howl. Howl's yeah. Moving Castle. Howl's Moving Castle by Hayao Miyazaki, seventh installment in our series, and uh, one of the best, one of the most recent of the ones made. I think it was made in 2004, and it, well, it, it features, what, a young woman who is sort of old before her time working as a, in a tailor, as a tailor, a hat tailor, seemingly. Uh-huh who um, refuses to go out and play with the other young ladies and to revel in the, the, the you know, pleasures of the city and society that a young lady of her age is due. She seems uh-huh. to be self-conscious of the fact that she's not as beautiful as her mother thinks she's not beautiful. And, well, who shows up at her door but a rather corpulent, amorphous figure in dark velvet and a sharp hat who calls her a tacky little girl uh, tacky. Who is yeah 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 I love the that. witch of the waste yes tacky i mean saying to her this nasty thing that is pr- exactly what sophie and her name is sophie like sophia wisdom uh-huh. that uh, uh that's exactly what she thinks of herself that she's ugly and drab and plain and tacky that there's nothing about her that's unique or alluring or interesting right. and so this figure this amorphous undefined threatening witch figure from the waste is um an a prefiguration of the self and the feminine psyche um the self being uh both active in a a man and a woman but in this instance she is an older more mature more powerful but undefined woman so she's an image of the ideal to some extent but also conflated with the Jungian idea of the shadow which Mm. is terrible aspects of a human that you are unwilling to recognize about yourself like your vengefulness or your deceitfulness or your lack of ability to work hard or your unfairness to others and how because you generally manifest those qualities in small ways um not what you define as large ways you write them off as if they don't exist and so all those tiny little things form into a giant figure of the shadow, which right. beginning of the development of the personality is still conflated with the image of the self. Um, and in, in being so dark, it makes the image amorphous and the less defined the image of the self or the ideal towards which one thrives is, the, the more one is in a dark wood without a path, uh, the less one is able to see the path forward and so what does this image do does it draw her forward into life or does it uh cast her down does it um does it eat away at her you might say does it have a negative influence rather than a positive influence and so it seems like it sort of has both at first right Mm -hmm. it it steals the vitality from her life it ages her prematurely but in so doing also gives her the 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 motive power to move forward in her life, though at a greatly reduced, um, uh, well, with a major time limit in, imposed on her and uh, yeah. a, a curse of age. I mean, so it's interesting. So she she loses her vitality and her looks even more. And 
she, her voice even becomes it's, it's nice that it's a, this seems to be a, a, a throwback to Spirited Away, but I believe the same voice actor does this granny as um, the Yubaba character who was the head of the right. band. They even look they, very similar. They totally sound the same. I I think it's a famous actress too. Like all these movies, they get like really top-notch quality for the uh, the, the English versions on them. Yeah, um, how is Christian like, Bale? I mean, so like, yeah, really top-notch stuff. Yeah. So, so she, um, she's, she's turned into the old woman. Um, and, and yet in a sense, it's sort of like a freeing thing, right? Cause she's freed from right. all of the kind of pressures and mm-hmm. insecurities. It's, it's like, she can sort of let go of those things. Um, and well, she in a way becomes the person that she always like envisioned herself as in her own mind, right? Like, as yeah. as you put it, she's she's become old before her time, even before she she physically has that um, that appearance. And it seems like it also sort of uh, has an effect on her, like her strength. Right? She's sort of like slowed down and and enfeebled, um, but not. But you know, she's still like such a hard worker. Right, and she's still. Um... And something I, I neglected in my initial analysis is that Hal does take her arm when she's still young near mm-hmm. the beginning, which also sets things in motion. And so he's like the spirit Mercurius, which the alchemists and the Jungians quoting them and the Petersonians would, would mention the spirit inside matter that, that garners one's interest and in drawing one towards it, the information that, that it uh, has latent within it will be activated, which will change the person's life. It's like the genie in the lamp sort mm-hmm. of idea. Um, and Aladdin going down to the underworld in order to, to get that knowledge. And so, and so um, there seems to be some affection between her and him. And so he is what is called the animus figure in union mm-hmm. psychology, which is the prefiguration of the self as well. So uh, her ultimate self will be feminine because she is herself feminine. But the figure that draws her into life is the animus, which is masculine, just as with the men, they have an anima figure, which is um, feminine. And so gotcha. he is still an airy sort of wizard, right? And yeah. so that indicates that he is still like very much spirit, not so much rooted in reality. And in fact, he has like sort of a shaky relationship to reality, right? He's a part of two kingdoms. He has a house <laughs> with very tiny legs that looks very slipshod, which is very poorly cared for, which can go to four different locations. He himself yes. is a blonde-haired, uh, beautiful man who, who seems to look myopically at everyone around them and never show affect um, until his hair gets changed to the darker, uh, more earthy black, which sets off a major catastrophe in his personality and his view of himself and revealing how shallow he is. What's the point of being alive if I can't be beautiful? Um, (laughs) And so that's, that's effectively her, um, uh, our, our main characters, uh, Sophie's um, perception of like the ideal man. (laughs) And so, and so there's some problems with it, right? Like he, he does not measure up in many ways, though he's powerful and magical. 
He doesn't have any home skills or domestic skills, and he doesn't care about anything, which is something we find out later, that he has given, he has given his heart over to magic or to his creative endeavor. And so he can't give his heart to anything else. And so, so long as he's producing magic or creativity, and I think we can see this happening in Hollywood and many creati creative endeavors now, he doesn't feel responsible for the rest of the actions in his own life. And so he's refused to take moral responsibility for the harm he's done as a wizard and as uh, he's known as a womanizer. And so oh, right. um, he steals their hearts and eats them, right? Is, is right. The, the girls the, it's the, yeah, that's the rumor about him. And mm. well, given that that's what the Witch of the Waste does, mm. that it's potentially true. Uh, mm -hmm. that that's the sort of thing that happens. And even at a metaphorical level, what does that mean that he he steals the pleasure of a moment um, from from an experience that's supposed to be much richer and mm -hmm. deeper makes those around him who were once sweet potentially bitter? I mean, look yeah. at the waste. She she uh, she said that she once loved Hal, and he said yeah. that she was once beautiful, but then he realized she wasn't. And so, who knows whether that was a spell that he cast on her that revealed her for truly what she was or whether he did to her what he had done to all the other women before her bitter and terrible um, because of his treatment of her. Um, but, and so, and so that's a very unsophisticated, even as just a character, that's a very unsophisticated person, right? Even though he is extraordinarily talented, he is completely isolated by his gift because of his unwillingness to reflect social mores or to, uh, take a position of responsibility within the world, right? He still he's needs a to kind of yeah. cipher, right? He's a kind of cliche, and in this movie, strikes me as uh, as following some of the kind of some of the kind of patterns that we saw in the other ones. But but it's it seems to me that this one does, as you say, it it does less of a job of giving you um, a full character, and that seems to be sort of the point, right? He's more right. like a type than a than an actual person when you first meet him, uh, right? And something that we were we were attempting to parse out before we got on the phone is that this seems to be sort of like a Japanese uh, Beauty and the Beast tale, um, mm. but it's even more sophisticated than Beauty and the Beast. Whereas in the Disney version of Beauty and the Beast, uh, the Beast has to learn how to use his aggression in order to fight for something he actually cares about which I would see, say actually now articulating that is fairly sophisticated. Well, that's precisely what Hal has to do mm. as, as well. He has to um, use his art in the service of something that means something to him rather than just be an outlaw because he refuses to be bounded to anything, which actually makes right. me think that that's perhaps why Ronin are called scum by samurai. <laughs> that they fight without honor. They have the gift, the creative gift of being able to, you know, fight, but they Defend. don't find yeah. it in a responsible manner to something which is um, of importance to them, which seems to be the ultimate game. And it, in fact, that reminds me hmm. very much, no spoilers here, of last night's Westworld. Um, okay. Um, and perhaps the point of even having a territory or a, a home to give one something to fight for to bring the best out of one for yeah. um and so so uh just to sort of jump way ahead because of that it is interesting that hal eventually does give a ring 
then to Sophie um, after they've done a lot of growth. So one thing that she sees in him, just like in the Eros and Suke um, myth, just like oh, in Beauty yeah. and the Beast, is she sees how when he's turned into a war beast, right? He's yeah. turned into this black raven with still a human face that fights these faceless uh, uh, um, sort of these, these faceless, oily magicians of darkness <laughs> in these aerial combat scenes. And so he has to turn into a monster to fight against them. And this is, this, uh, I mean, these, it, this even has echoes back to the Iliad, right, where Hector has to become a monster in order to fight against other monsters. And this is indicated by the fact that his son cries when he sees the helmet on Hector because he sees his father as the monster he can be. But right. then when his father takes the helmet off, he sees him as the kind, benevolent father that he can be. And so he has the two images of uh, sort of Zeus or the great father there, the vengeful, terrifying aspect and the protective, loving aspect. And it is precisely that protective, loving aspect which Hal has refused to embody because he, like a Peter Pan figure, uh, does not want to be uh, bound to anything, right? His house mm -hmm. moves. He's not bound to a certain land. His, yeah. He has four different places that he can exist at any particular time in the house because it has a magical door with a red, black, I think blue and yellow switch. Yeah, uh, yeah the, switch, the switch changes even at a certain point in the movie. So it, it doesn't yes. even open the same four places throughout the whole movie. So there's this constant mutability about it. And right. I think that goes along with the uh, well. There's there's definitely that color thing going on, like you mentioned, where he's, he starts out with the the brilliant white hair, blonde hair, whatever, and and then later, once they start cleaning up his room for him um, mm -hmm. against his wishes, then uh, he comes back and and uh, his his product is changed and it changes the color of his hair, um, which he has to. It's like rearrange his whole identity, right? He's sort of he's sort of got this this image of himself which is so fragile it turns out despite how powerful he is as a as a wizard That's right. as, and as you a were asking you were asking earlier what you thought the function of markle his young apprentice was and yeah I, I think i just had a thought on that that yeah. perhaps what markle is is Hal's vulnerable self-image of himself yeah. because though he is a boy he's also potentially the emotional age of 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 how because we see that how gave up his heart at a very young age he was something like 12 16 he was some young man when he right. caught the spirit which was a uh, calcifer and bound it to him and so perhaps because of that original marriage that's why he feels he can't take on any additional responsibilities because he calcifer or creativity is a jealous mistress and that's yeah. think, very interesting uh He's like a well. He's like a father in that way that he has this kind of magical creativity. He's like a father in that he's got this kind of house and he's got a kind of family there between Calcifer and Markle. If, if you, and then, he, but but on the other hand, he's he's got no um, no roots as as right. you put it earlier. And so, I think I think it's it's an interesting dilemma where he in some sense. He um, he kind of puts pa he puts the pause button on him himself 
in order to um, embrace this this spirit from from the heavens, this this fire spirit of, of Calcifer, um, and and the, and then once he's done that, uh, he kind of he keeps that locked away, right? He's got that that one door that opens to the um, to the meadow, wow. yeah, the lake. Oh, yeah, that too. And it's it's like that's the thing that he he finally shares with Sophie. Um, he gives her the ring that she can come back to. Um, he he seems willing to kind of give himself up at that point, though he still hasn't. It's like it's like he's he's willing to uh, to show her some aspects of himself, but then he immediately goes away again at that point um, to to sort of you know sacrifice himself, perhaps uh, go out in a blaze of glory, sort of thing. So so right up until the very end, it seems like he's still not entirely committed to to actually living you know and creating something with his life um and and i i think the movie ends on i mean i'm puzzled by markle for sure but i'm also sort of puzzled by the end of the movie like it's it's not entirely clear to me how how certain or how stable the the kind of family that they've created uh uh, turns out to be at the end um Let's pause on that just for one second because you, you've given rise to a host of ideas in my okay. mind. Um, but just to show the parallel structures of this story and Beauty and the Beast, it is precisely when he decides to give to Sophie that which is most meaningful to her, the thing which is beautiful to her, the garden, which is yeah. of meaning to him. And so they share a garden together or an Edenic sort of place, which is made all the more magical by the fact that it means something to him. And so now she shares something of meaning with him, just like when the beast gives his library to Uh Belle, um, because that is the thing of, well, infinite value to her because she loves books, but also because it is something that he chose to give to her because she would love it. And so not exactly the same situation, but very close when something of value, uh, extraordinary value from the man or the animus figure is given to, to the woman in order to show that he is willing to give something up for her indicating through express sacrifice, her worth to him. And that, that strikes me as uh, profoundly uh, deep. Um, And so, what then he does is shows that he can fight for something that he believes in, which yeah. is fighting against these forces of darkness in the war. Uh, and I'm not trying to paint too good of a picture of him because he does do tons of cowardly stuff. Um, I, in particular, trying to send Sophie in to talk to Madam Sullivan uh, <laughs> without him there, um, which, you know, not to be forgotten by any means, um, but that he... Um, when he does go to fight, he is, it seems, trying to show that he's willing to die for something that he could take responsibility for. But ultimately, mm-hmm. that is not as hard as living with responsibility. Yeah. Uh, and so it's sort of like the death of the, the childhood heroic ideal of growing to one's peak and then dying in sacrifice for something one believes in uh, and, and getting to the more sort of um, fatherly adult responsible um, perception that well 
actually, maybe I should clean up my act <laughs> and learn how to take care of those around me rather than just, you know, reaching this sort of peak of childhood and strength and um, never having to develop any of that, um, yeah. which, um, you know, then, then leads to um, Calcifer being freed or his single-minded yeah. devotion to the creative endeavor, um, just like Aladdin giving up the genie in the lamp or making him free. Um, he gives up the infinite possibilities of creative life plus youth in order to focus on the realities of his present situation. In Aladdin's case, his kingdom. In Beauty and the Beast's case, his kingdom, which is yeah. he's actually redeemed his kingdom at this point uh, by doing something so uh, extraordinary and sacrificial that he earns the love of somebody else, which is not something he could have done as the selfish narcissist prince he had been growing up. Um, yeah. So, like, as you're sort of pointing out, the, uh, the, the exchange seems to go two ways then. It's like, to, to one side of it, uh, the, the figure of the animus meeting Sophie, right? But to the other side of it, can she be read as as his anima figure then? Like, has he, or is there some other sort of ideal to which he aspires once once he realizes that being with her would be better than right keeping this this moving castle thing going indefinitely? Well, that um, is interesting because she she he does offer her ground, right? Garden. Yeah something to root himself and he does give her a ring too like putting a fence around a garden makes it your garden in the Lockean sense that you've now put work in and now this place is yours and i guess in a more abstract way humans do that by putting work in in like say sports or any sort of endeavor and then that territory becomes partly theirs and they'll even compete with other people to prove that the territory is theirs right which is <laughs> sort of interesting and so um and so, yes, she could be the anima. And what's interesting is that when she first presents herself to him uh, after being transformed, she's an old woman that's just there to clean his house. And that shows his immature idea of the function of a woman, right? He sees women as two things, old women who clean and cook and take care of the kids and young women to flirt with and steal the hearts of. He's totally missing the middle part of the equation that would make for an ordered house. And the fact that his house is disordered and that he has a place of darkness where he has to go suffer alone, marked by the black, uh, the, the black uh, quartet or quaternion of the, the four-part circle, which is right. a symbol of the self too for Jungians uh, and uh, like the mandala. Um, but, um, but yeah, he's missing the woman as... Uh, at, in her most substantial form, which is the everyday woman with whom he would have to interact, uh, the every the everyday feminine. Um, he he only sees you know the fun and frivolousness and the worker aspect. And so yes, so his idea of her has to develop, and he has to realize that um, women are not just there to serve his needs at the present moment, but there to be the ultimate symbol of responsibility or that which you would be most willing to sacrifice yourself for. 
and thus mm-hmm. bringing out the absolute best in you as a man. And so when he simply sees them as extensions of his own sort of pleasure in life, that doesn't bring about the circumstances necessary to bring out what is actually most human and most dignified and best in him, that which will effectively make it so that he never has to be a beast again. Um, Ending the war externally and internally at the same moment. Snap. Yeah. The, the war. Yeah. So like the black, that's the, that's the, um, the kind of like terrain or whatever of his, of his um, expression of his power or something like that. Right. So it's like the very same thing that could be fearful or, or uh, destructive. Like that's the thing that he's devoted himself to up until this point. Um, And, and those scenes in the movie are like rendered really differently from the rest of the, Hmm. the action, right? Like they, they, they look like they're from some other movie entirely in a way. Um, And then, so like gradually as the movie goes on, it seems like you get this kind of breakdown between those, those distinct areas and and that's sort of like you see that happen too with the with the moving castle itself right like it it just like gradually gets destroyed like throughout the course (laughs) it's it's awesome to watch uh and then by the end you have like this one little like little gear going back and forth (laughs) it's awesome um but like the so it's it's an interesting kind of um uh uh like process then if you're if you're thinking about it in terms of like the the kind of the 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 work that get that you have to put in to become a a real person or something like that like there's an awful lot of just kind of destruction that has to take place first it it looks like to kind of get back to the the real thing that's underneath it yeah and i would say that that's what the real message unfortunately for donnie darko uh, uh, the 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 short story the destroyers so the oh, yeah. behind the destroyers is there's an old curator who thinks that he's something because of that which he's accrued and so he's mm-hmm. the old blind king he's tradition right uh-huh. he is he's Hal's castle at the beginning look at what it's become it's nasty and chimeric and on and on a weak foundation that keeps him totally divided against himself into this young figure who pretends to be old and wise, which is him pretending to be old and wise to himself. And he's totally um, uh, uh, separated from the source of his creative insight. Um, He's enslaved it to this single-minded endeavor. And so when a new part of the house enters, he doesn't even notice it at first. That's how disorganized his psyche is. And so the whole thing, like you said, has to be burnt to the ground. Yeah. Uh, has to be taken out. His old framework has to be pieced apart so that he can build on solid ground, something yeah. that is rooted, something that can actually grow out from the earth. It's not artificial because yeah. ultimately that's what his creativity misses. That's what, like, say, one of the lower alchemists would miss. You can't yeah. produce the reality of relations with your mind with your creative spark, it has to serve your real relations and the real people who exist on the earth, not just your ideas of how things should or could be, which would be essentially the, you know, Luciferian use of the rational intellect 
to criticize the world as it is because it can see how the world should be better. It's like, no, you serve rational intellect. When you see how the world can be improved, you then figure out how to do that. Um, but yeah. you don't make, <laughs> you know, you, the, the purpose of the rational intellect, the purpose of the creative insight, which uh, Hal has ultimately is not to tear down the world around him as he shows that he is attempting to do through fighting in this war, but to create something enduring and real. And that means that he has to take his place in the world in an actual single place that's rooted to the ground with a real uh, woman. And what happens with Sophie, which I think is interesting is that like so in so many of Hayao Miyazaki's movies, you like work off the curse through your deeds, not yeah. through just learning some magical words, which would of course be our current co conception of how to deal with every problem, right? Learn some magical words and you'll get out of it. Um, <laughs> rather than having to go through a journey, it's often a journey through the underworld or some sort of personal hell. And so what happens with her is she's returned to her original form, except her hair stays silver. He comments on that. And so both of their hair is changed by their interaction with each other. Um, uh, both, both become less beautiful in the other's eyes because they are no longer just projections of the anima and the animus, which are images of perfect, perfection that humans project onto each other. And it's why you can fall short of it to other people. Um, and how you can fall in love with like, people who look very, very different because you'll just project the same image onto them and you'll fall in love with that image. But what's happened by the end of this that gives the stable foundation to them and like you mentioned in a recent podcast about in the Odyssey, gives the highest good to, to the Greek world, hmm. a good marriage, um, is um, the fact that they now see each other for what they really are. Yeah. Not just yeah. the images that they 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 portray to the world and so that's made them less but also more beautiful less beautiful because they're not just fantastic images of perfection but more beautiful because they're far more profound and deeper and richer than any superficial image of perfection could possibly be yeah yeah no i i think i mean the the kind of uh trajectory there is really interesting because there's um there's that kind of element of 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 effort and building up that's that's taking place at the same time right they sort of they, they're sort of seeking like where can we have our house be right and so they and brief briefly they end up back in the hat shop um like that that's one of the magic doors um new locations that they sort of set up shop at um and it's like it seems like it's a slightly premature one though because because they haven't like settled that that ongoing war um, and it sort of like comes home to 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 roost, um, and and the other image of that too is the uh, the 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 kind of um, the nefarious uh, vizier to the king of the one kingdom, right? The uh, Madame Sullivan or Solomon. Solomon. Yeah. So she ah, she's really really interesting, right? Because she was uh, Howell's teacher um, back in the day, and like saw his potential but is now, you know, trying to basically uh, trap him, right? And, and sort of neutralize him because he's, he's become too dangerous. Um, but but the, uh, the, the trap that she, she sets 
um, seems to be that of, of narcissism in a way, right? It's like when she captures the witch of the waste, it's with, it's with mirrors and with these like these, these huge light bulbs that turn on and like fry her to a crisp, right? Um, and that's the sort of thing that will never trap uh, Sophie, right? So it's like her, her strength is, is of her, her sort of meekness or something like that. In that sense, she makes a kind of great counterpart to Howell who could perhaps have ended up like the Witch of the Waste, if not for, for Sophie sort of um, appearing when she does. Um, and he, you know, so then he, he shows up, he doesn't have to go up the stairs, like, you know, painstakingly. It's like hard to watch that portion where they're, they're like creeping up the giant staircase. Instead, he, he flies in on the, uh, the little ornithopter bike thing and, um, and is, is in the guise of the king, right? Uh, mm yeah yeah so so i found i found that like a really interesting little like a counterpart sort of image to to the destruction of the house um are these sort of attempts to uh to take stock to yeah to make this effort but um but it seems like yeah without the without the correct end or the correct uh relationship between the characters it's just not gonna it's not gonna hold up and I, yeah. I still, yeah. but I, just the last thing there, like at the very end, part of what makes me unsure about the, the, the quality of that relationship is, is still that there's this other, there's, there's pumpkin, what's his name? Not pumpkin head, but um, turnip, head. turnip head, man. So what's turnip head doing there? Like he's still out in, on the loose. You got to watch out for turnip head. Uh, how? So I, I, I see a turnip head less as a, an Orestes spurned figure who's going to come back and kill Neoptolemus at some point. <laughs> and more as a, a figure of the divine child who is the bringer of peace. Uh, um, the symbol of the, unif the perfect unifier of a relationship. The third uh, aspect of the Trinity, I know people will say it's actually the second as the sun, but that's fine. Um, uh that which um, is born of peace between two people is the peace that will be between two peoples. Gotcha. Um, and in fact, the, I think the Aeneid does a good job of trying to lay this out that through marrying the Latin princess Lavinia to the Trojan prince, Dardanian technically, Aeneas, they will bring peace about without conflict and they attempt to do this except for the prejudices against foreigners, which the farmers show are too powerful and so also the innate fury that comes up in the form of electo due to juno um uh keeps that from happening but so i see i don't see him as a rival lover and something interesting about him is that he too is blonde and actually there are those little shiny marks all over him uh -huh. when he first comes about which not only means that he's shiny and new but particularly a figure of uh like sort of a hermetic hermes like figure uh part also of the idea of the animus because something you notice is that when he leaves he just bounces off on the air yeah. on his cane he's not he's a spirit he's also a mercurial uh spirit he is going to be the spirit i would say of love between the kingdoms uh, and also okay. between sophie and Hal. uh what's going to bring Hal? what's going to finish Hal's education Okay. Uh, uh, effectively, um, Solomon though is is very interesting um, in that she's sort of motherly but dark motherly, right? She has that Tiamat aspect in that she attempts to flood um, 
uh, how when she actually retreats into the waters, right? So she becomes the waters of chaos. She becomes the Ouroboros. She becomes um, that which releases all the despair and negative affect into man, into the hero. And so how he's eventually going to have to defeat her, which he does not do, is like Marduk, he needs to bind her in some way. And so I wonder to what extent he binds her by binding himself in relationship to a real woman. Um, I wonder whether that is, in fact, what the purpose of a marriage and like a tribe and a country even is. Kind of. Although that's like sort of a giant connection, which would take some time to detail out. Um, (laughs) It's certainly, no, those, those two... Those two loose ends, I mean, that does make some sense um, to think about it on the sort of macro scale of the of the state and its its long term sort of goals or whatever you might want. If you could speak of it as having goals, of course, um, yeah, at yeah. least propagation of itself and mm-hmm. reflective of that natural instinct. I mean, I don't think it's inappropriate to say that a state would have goals to increase its own welfare um, and right. the welfare of the states that support it. And the entire world, I would say that those, I mean, we can criticize ourselves for not acting appropriately on those aims, but we do mm-hmm. seem to actually legitimately care about them. And just an interesting statistic that Steven Pinker brought to my attention today is that um, in the last hundred years or so, and that time frame could be off by some amount of years, um, social spending by the government has increased from 1% to 22%. And so, you know, to suggest that, we, you know, we don't care about our people and that we haven't, you know, progressively been caring more and more and more as we generate more and more and more wealth in our people. It's like it's just plain wrong, um, though inequality hasn't increased. Um, mm. And that's a function of a greater and greater surplus that uh, mm-hmm. more and more of it ends up in fewer and fewer pockets, though the people who occupy those spots do change. And so uh, whether it's fair or not is sort of who you compare it to. Um, But nobody keeps anybody from getting any of that. Well, what a weird digression to have gone out on. Um, The state, the state as, as wanting something of its people and for its people beyond sort of just their like mere um, submission, you know, like, I think that's a pretty, optimistic like well so you've got the uh you've got the the king and he seems to be like really interested in how he can just like destroy as many of the enemy ships as possible yes, like in that brief moment how he's a yeah. he's like a captain hook figure and that he's just a typical <laughs> brash uncreative killing male he's part of the problem and yeah. um, and he's willing to use magic which is what Cal has to offer of which is of infinite value, but he, he, he's willing to use it to cause suffering. And so that's something that Hal can't yet square away. Like when a young one of us, a millennial has to square away 40 hours of his or her time to like produce income. And those are your precious hours. And that's your precious, precious soul. And that's like a a tyranny held over you. And it is a small tyranny. But it also opens up new doors as well that you could not have seen before or you could have just faintly apprehended but not walked through. Um, Like perhaps now, if you were a music lover, you have less time to sit around and listen to music 
fall under the duress of negative emotion because you don't have a job or a way to support yourself. But now you can maybe go to more concerts because you have more money. And so, um, you know, the, the figure of the king is limited in what he offers. He offers order and stability. And he does ask a price and being slightly tyrannical and taking something of your time and allegiance from you. But he is ultimately a figure for seeming good, except for uh, the, the way about which he seems, which is by uh, sucking the, the powers out of the wizards and, and yeah. uh, witches that show up, which I guess would be the machinery of the state during war, using the, the resources creative and intellectual of the people in order to maintain uh, or, or win a conflict but that the ultimate use of these powers would be to recognize that the conflict needed to be uh, one within in order to yeah. bring peace yeah. about. And that, uh, that seems to be the, the claim, right? It's like that the psychological states and things um, are, are true of the, of the individual, but also the collective on, on some level. Well, um, make, if, you, if you consider society sort of like a shared mental vision and yeah. which regulates emotional states of people, which is why you can't reduce it to race, religion, or even language or anything because it's that complicated. It's an entire vision of reality that we teach to people um, and that they can see. And that that's why it's not propaganda because you sort of teach that it exists you do, you, and detailed out, out its aspects you, and how we sort of behave. You don't control how that actually is. And if you teach that wrong, people will immediately tell. Mm -hmm. um, and so, sorry, just getting caught up thinking about that as – an actual claim. Sorry, what was I responding to there, Wes? Because just, just the uh, the the idea that the collective is a kind of macrocosm right. of the individual. And so, and so with how quickly we can distribute information to each other, the idea that a mental state could go from one person to multiple people and then reflect uh, an agreed upon uh, emotional response and action pattern to go with that, it's like, yeah. That's exactly, mm -hmm. it's what happens in the individual certainly happens in the community in that aspect because mm -hmm. we are so tightly wound as to be very sensitive to the small differences that people exhibit and what that means because we perceive things symbolically, which is why we can play video games and we understand the narrative structure uh, from different times and places and yeah. it makes perfect sense to us and is even enjoyable. And it's like, well, we're always doing that. We're still doing that. We just don't recognize it because the game is present to us right now um, or invisible to us because it is present. Right. It's like you're, you're sort of on the game board or something. You yes. Know, yes. Uh, you don't. If you were a cynic, you'd say you don't see your prison bars. <laughs> yeah. um, right. Right. And so uh, what so seems to be yeah. necessary is the development of the individual, not the crushing of the individual. Because yeah. no matter how many individuals you crush, you will never win that war because that's not how a war is actually won through sheer power and force, but through a culture overcoming itself um, right. through an individual effort to recognize in himself the causes of war, the, the, the evil which produced the war, and to achieve a moral transformation necessary to give the moral high ground to his people, which enables them to uh, sue for peace. Yeah, the, I think one other way to think about Markle, actually, now that I'm 
like I don't know that there's any real evidence for this in the in the movie, but I like to think that maybe he's a kind of um, like a war orphan or something, you know, like oh, he's yeah. wow. Howell, you know, found on one of his strafing runs, you know, destroying a bunch of, of enemy ships. And he like he saved this kid. And, you know, so I don't know. I don't I guess there's just elements about the movie which I'm OK, like letting be a, a bit of a mystery because I think the overall aesthetic picture that it draws and, and all of this sort of insights that you can glean from just kind of beholding that whole picture are, are really uh, it's really awesome i mean it's it's not one that um that like i said immediately strikes me as having as as interesting of characters and and stuff going on as some of the others but the, right. the total picture of it is like fascinating like thinking about the castle and uh just howls you know bathroom <laughs> and just everything yeah. all, all things that, when you put them all together oh and and the scene of him like reaching uh calcifer like reaching out to calcifer and and that that there's all the all the little mini falling stars happening like in the in the meadow there by the lake i think that's that's just such a, a dream like chosen by a star it's fascinating yeah yeah, yeah. The, you know the 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 washroom which makes you dirtier <laughs> than it does make you <laughs> he is not capable of redeeming himself at that moment i i think yeah that's fascinating and i would agree that it the the story shares less of a traditional narrative structure um than like say a spirited away or a princess mononoke which is a little more clear cut um in what it is it's more formed whereas this more sort of stream of consciousness or even unconsciousness i would say whereas it gives flow to archetypal images um sort of like jung's red book and I know that that's something that Miyazaki would sometimes do, just start painting the pictures and write the story secondarily. And so this could be, this could have been an even more fantastical attempt because there is so much archetypal imagery in it that's very helpful to pursue. And there does seem to be sort of an underlying story of personal growth, not only in the feminine, but also in the masculine and recognizing the true source of peace comes from uh, harmonizing those two sides of human existence. And so it's, it's as if it has, one of the most profound meanings underlying it and very much well representing the pathway of individuation in both masculine and feminine psyches is what I would say it seems to have and yet still not be as provoking and meaningful a, a unique story as say yeah. a spirited away where yeah. spirited away hits the archetypal so profoundly and even uses expressly archetypal material. It still has a deeply per, um, personal or uh, idiosyncratic nature, right? Like even if you compare it to Alice in Wonderland, it is not Alice in Wonderland. It's its own standalone movie, which would be the criticism of um, what episode seven Star Wars, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Without the first Star Wars, which it seems to mirror entirely, uh, it's nothing, right? Um, It's the reflecting pool, not Narcissus. the yeah. narcissistic endeavor as a, an empty reflection as an interesting idea there. All is vanity, says Ecclesiastes, right? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. only if you're, if you're not beautiful. Oh, very good. Very good. <laughs> very good. Um, okay, yeah, so... Well, yeah, we, 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 was there anything last you wanted to cover on this? Um, I just sort of thought about the the process by which the power seemed to be taken away from the witch in the waste is 
where is that what happened? And the the dancing star people who were dance right. who were who dance with their hands around. Like I was I was wondering if and I made the claim that um uh Solomon she um that she uses the powers of Tiamat or mm-hmm. or the ocean, the salt water, um, that which is tragedy inducing or or causes tears and uh is the unrestrained unrestrained process of nature or power of nature Mm -hmm. um and so i was wondering if these stars sort of represented like the cycle of time and how that which nature gives it will certainly take back um and that what solomon was doing was sort of speeding up the process of time and sucking the deuce uh, out of the person and what made me also think that is the fact that those star people are what were falling out of the sky and one of which was caught by Hal, which he gave his heart to in order to embody it and give it life yeah no they're sort of they seem to be a kind of of shadowy stars too though right like they're hmm. they, they're um they're they wheel around the person and they seem to kind of mesmerize uh you know and and like if if magic in some sense is analogous to this process of becoming a real person then then what you're seeing there i suppose is the person being so um sort of so deceived about the, where they stand on that journey, right? That they, that they're easily controlled or they sort of lose their, yeah, their vital, their vital uh, spark. You know, well, that is like interesting that. because the, um, the heads do not move position. They're always turned over the left shoulder as, so they're sort of turned backwards as, yeah. uh, as the, the sun, uh, as the stars go forward and they move in a ca- counterclockwise position indicating uh-huh. going towards unconsciousness rather than consciousness. And so their attention is completely directed at the Witch of the Waste when they're going to take her powers away. So it's like sort of a narcissism, right? Without, yeah. ref- without understanding that time is passing and one is wasting away in one's vanity. And so, yes, that sounds, that does sound, that sounds pretty good. One is overcome with the creativity within oneself until, poof, it disappears without one ever having manifested something with it, even a complete personality being not, not the least important thing one could make through the process of creative transformation, Um, a responsible human capable of dealing with problems seems to be (laughs) what brings two kingdoms back together. And so it's represented by the highest possible symbolism. And so it's almost as if you're only a muggle insofar as you fail to understand that the spirit of interest which draws you into things is that which will sort of redeem you and the entire world yeah yeah the um the uh sorry the the thing about uh her too is like as she has you know absolutely lost all of her her potential um she still is uh she's still taken care of, right? Like Sophie and, and how yes. agree that, you know, 
she's not they're not just gonna like abandon her now, now that she's uh, essentially um yeah enfeebled uh they, and they, they take on the little coughing dog as well their family <laughs> expands their, their their sphere of competency with relations expand and so does their their family and what does that mean that means they can take more responsibility on and further stabilize uh and stabilize more aspects of the community all at once yeah. so it's like there's never no hope you know it seems to be the message there like uh that the, there's there's on the one hand yeah there's always people who are gonna um fall short of of the highest goals but on the other hand there's you know other people who are gonna come in and and attempt by whatever means to like reconnect those people to whatever it is they may lack need that's interesting because that suggests to me sort of an alternative potentially even more sophisticated reading of like say the unjust employer at the vineyard story from the New <laughs> Testament, who takes yeah. in the people for eight hours and seven and six and five and four and three, two, one, which uh-huh. is also analogous to the idea of the vine, that there's the new vine and the old vine, but they're all equal. That yeah. it's like sort of that each of these people is equal and that they play a part in the same story. Mm-hmm. And that makes them equivalent in some respect. But the people who do, you know, the eight hours, it's like they're like the stars of the show. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it's like there is an equality in the eyes of God as the creator of the story. Right. There. But there's also an inequality in that you get to spend more time as a part of the story. Right. And so the gift seems to be the problems you face in reality. Yeah. You get story. to manifest more of what you actually are in the right. realist story which exists which is even used to shape the stories of the people yet to come because the people with the, who make the most dynamic impacts uh, through struggling the most, generally speaking, um, are the people who get remembered. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we pass down you know, their images because they seem to embody a certain type which has eternal value, and that seems to be the, the transformative hero who's willing to... Ex- uh, um, who is willing to engage in exploratory behavior in the face of the unknown willfully, willingly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that can manifest in infinite ways <laughs> in each one of our lives. And so you might see that as the, um, as the, the letter from Hogwarts, whenever it manifests in your life, whenever anomaly reaches up and is calling your attention to itself. And uh, you know, I think Sophie, got to see that and got to walk through the city with Hal and then got to walk through the world with Hal, which was a very different experience. Um, And that, that might be the difference between persona and actual world, right? That when she's just going through the city in a whirlwind with him and he has to run away against the, or run away from the forces of darkness, which are external to him at first. Uh And then through the course of the entire movie, um, she sees much more about him than just that, initial persona image right and um and gets to uh you know see what's also ugly and unworthy in him uh like his cowardice mm-hmm. and unwillingness to take responsibility and grow up um and even to keep himself clean <laughs> um but yeah. uh i love when yeah. i love when she's about to clean the house and 
and she's like she warns Markle and he runs back to his room to like hide all his secret stuff from her. It's it's really cute. That that part. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, is there anything left uncovered? I mean, besides the infinite amount that we always miss? Well, uh I mean we've got to figure out what which one next. Um all right. Uh, all right. I, I have a suggestion. I have right. a suggestion on this. I would suggest Castle in the Sky because I just bought it. Far out. Yeah, that makes sense. We're going back into the past on this one. I mean, I'm... yeah, another castle in the sky because that is what happens to House Castle at the end, right? Now it's yeah. no longer a walking castle, but it can fly, which perhaps that's something you were having an issue with because I think yeah. the correct image would not be so much that it can fly. Perhaps it's an image of the kingdom of heaven, which can be present everywhere in that respect. So that might be good. But if these were actual figures and not just archetypes, they should be rooted somewhere. Um, right, right. So they can't just float off anywhere. Uh, an idea that is disembodied, like Voldemort in the, the first Harry Potter, is <laughs> not a very useful or operant idea. Right. You need to see the idea in action. Um, and so Castle in the Sky will be interesting because we'll see, you know, perhaps an early iter earlier iteration or prefiguration like the, the prophets before Jesus of, uh, of, um, of the same story. Um, and Mark Hamill, too, I know as a voice yeah. actor in the, in the English language version. So awesome. that'll be a treat. That will be a treat. Uh, All right. Yeah, so uh, sounds like you are amenable to that see a natural intuitive connection between them as you would uh, say i'm on board yeah sounds good All right. well thank you for indulging in another adventure of the imagination an adventure of ideas as alfred north whitehead would say another concentration and contemplation and associative um game right on. Um, yeah, but also yeah. yeah 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 and a pleasure as always to have you and um, this is, again, Mr. West Chance of Bookworm Games. You put out, I believe, two episodes this uh, weekend. So you're doing a lot of work alongside your, your teaching gig, too. So this is a hardworking man. Well, you know, just trying to catch up. Just trying to catch up. I hope that uh, we'll be hearing more Iliad podcasts from you when you get a chance. I know you're a busy guy. But... Yeah, yeah. I think I might have to drop one this week. Um, I've been off it. For a little bit of time while I've been developing this Milton unit yeah. that I've been teaching and it's been sort of blowing my mind and developing my understanding of uh, the relationship between all these epics and sure. even the relationship to my own life and my own personal tragedies and falls and conflicts that I've yeah. run into and so it's been a deeply personal journey too but I'll be sure to infuse, infuse all my lectures to come with all those details as well to keep them fiery and interesting because you know you can't separate the heart from the mind you can't separate calcifer from how you can't separate those are the constituent elements of the soul of a story and a story without soul is just a list of facts or lies for that matter yeah. and uh so we'll be we'll be sharing what we've got of that story again very very soon and so if the listeners are listening in they're like confound it schmid talk about the Iliad, not just these movies and westworld it's it's coming great <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Until next time. All right. Take care. Bye.